Hi everyone, I'm Katie Dawson and welcome to Super Creative, a podcast that delivers candid conversations with inspiring women who are thriving in business. Today on the podcast, I speak to Olivia Boswell, award-winning public relations and communications specialist and founder of Common Ground PR. Olivia is a multifaceted operator. With her extensive experience in the cultural space and her passion for New Zealand businesses with heart, she offers a unique and creative perspective. Common Ground PR supports companies with big goals in their journeys, from launching and profile building to maintaining a covetable position in the media. It's not often I interview people on what I call the service side of building a brand and business. Still, as many of my long-time listeners will know, I'm a bit obsessed with PR and I love hearing the behind-the-scenes stories about working alongside incredible businesses to help grow and build brands. And when I say incredible businesses and brands, for Liv, these include podcast favourite Boring Oat Milk, Brain Drink Arepa, and recently the Women's Rugby World Cup. Liv and I have an extensive extended network of mutual friends, but we truly connected after I spoke to Morgan Moore from Boring. I was really interested to hear all about Liv's business journey. Starting with redundancy at the beginning of a global pandemic, Liv's journey to becoming a business owner is really unique, and I know you will find a lot of value in her words. I'm so thankful to Liv for the transparency and generosity she shares in detail about the early days of Common Ground, and her vulnerability and honesty when sharing some of the more personal challenges she's faced throughout her time in business. This is a really fun chat. I laughed a lot and I really enjoyed Liv's perspective on work and life. And overall, I think the work she does and the business she's building is just really, really cool. To learn more about Liv and Common Ground after this episode, visit commongroundpr.co.nz or to get a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the life of a PR specialist, follow at Liv Boswell on Instagram. I know you will love my chat with Liv as much as I did. Hi Liv, and welcome to my podcast. Thank you, I'm so stoked to be here. So, I'm going to start off by asking you to describe who you are and what you do. Okay. So my name is Olivia Boswell and I run a company called Common Ground PR and at Common Ground we tell the stories of companies making a difference in the world. Now I've started off with this podcast, I've started off doing a sort of little overview of how I came to get you on the podcast and like most of my guests, the way that we've connected has got many little facets to it. As we've talked about previously, we actually met, I don't know, 15 years ago. You don't remember it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't expect you to, as previously discussed. We've got mutual friends. We've got mutual kind of broader circles that we've circled around each other for many years. But then last year when I interviewed Morgan Moore from Boring Oat Milk and I reached out to her, it was actually you that came back to me because I then discovered that you work alongside Morgan, helping her with her PR. She gave you a shout out in that episode. I know. And so, it was thanks, so cool. Morgs. Yeah. <laughs> and from there, you and I have had some conversations and communications and your business is and what you're doing is something that I've had a few guests like this that I wish I'd done. <laughs> Or like I look at what you're doing and when I was a bit younger and I was in different roles, I looked at going out on my own a few times and I think inherently I was probably a bit lazy, but I looked at doing it and it always seemed a bit, I chose the safer option in the end. I chose full-time employment. 
with a bit of freelance on the side. And so I'm really intrigued on your story, your business, how you've built it to what you have. You've got some wonderful clients and you're doing some really cool things. So that's the premise of why I would really like to talk to you about your journey. (laughs) Cool. I'm excited to talk to you about it. So you've listened to the podcast. You know the deal. We take it back. Let's go back a little bit. Where are you from? What did you study? Did you study? All of those things. First jobs, blah, 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 blah. So we, you want to go right back to the beginning? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not Maybe not births. <laughs> but talk me through your sort of your jobs and uni yeah, cool. and all of that kind of thing. Cool. I moved around a lot as a child. I grew up in Gisborne and then moved to Hong Kong when I was a teenager for a couple of years, which was cool. Moved back to Tauranga to finish off high school. And that was actually where I met our good mutual friend, Rosie. Then left high school and went to, came up to Auckland to go to uni. I did, went to AUT and did a Bachelor of Communications majoring in journalism. I was totally clueless at high school. I was like, I really like talking. I should do communications. Yeah. Did you know, were you at that point where you're like, when you went to uni, were you like, I'm going to be a journalist? Or was it just like, communications, journalism, okay. Definitely not. I was clueless. I was like, this industry sounds interesting. I had no parental input on what I was like choosing. I just was, yeah, went because it sounded interesting. By second second year, I was like, I really want to be a journalist. I was really passionate about it. Then majored in journalism in the third year and yeah, just loved it and was obsessed with it. But Unfortunately, I finished uni in 2008 and that was in the midst of the global financial crisis and journalism jobs were just dropping like flies across the board. None of my cohort was able to get jobs and I ended up getting a really awesome job actually with a company called Attitude who do health and well-being talks in high schools. Mm-hmm. So for three years, I was going around telling telling kids that you can't put a condom on your heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Do you know, I know someone that worked for Attitude, actually, and I reckon that those are the sort of roles that, like, shape you. You would have learned so much from a role like that. I learned a lot. It was doing presentations sometimes to 500 girls at, a like, Westlake Girls High School or through to five girls at some of these really remote rural schools that we went to we covered the whole country and I learned some incredible public speaking skills but also just how to get along with a lot of people you know all the different teachers that you met and and children and young people and and it was yeah a really great grounding I suppose for kind of relationship management and and how to be like take yourself not too seriously because when you're say, talk- presenting in a jazzy way, <laughs> yeah. when you're talking to teenagers about sex and it's sometimes the first time they've really had to think about it, you can't be too serious because it's a pretty funny topic. And that, whilst I always did really want to do journalism, that was definitely very part of the kind of like grounding of my adult personality. That job opened your world to other possibilities of other jobs. After doing that job, were you still committed to being a journalist? Yeah. So it didn't waver? Not not really. I was like very focused. I really want to be a journalist. And whilst I was doing that, they were really great. And they let me, I was really into fashion when I was younger. You wouldn't know it now. So I was really into fashion and I wrote for a fashion blog and they would let me go and go to New Zealand Fashion Week and... So I still kept up some of that. You were hustling, doing everything that, yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, to keep my fingers in those pies kind of thing. Then I left and went and did my OE in London, where I worked in hospitality, which was absolutely miserable. <laughs> did you have that? I this that was my London experience of arriving, thinking you were you'd heard of all these people getting these incredible jobs and all these, and then you're like, oh, hold on, all those jobs pay no money, and I need to survive, and you end up in jobs like hospitality or whatever. Totally, and I really admire people who work in hospitality. It's You have to be very skilled, and I am not in this area. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, actually, to the point where I remember one of the, I worked for a big hospitality group, and one of the managers was like, actually, Olivia, we're going to get, we're going to move you to back of <laughs> It's a good because yeah, you've okay. got a degree, you've worked in the office, and so I actually started doing working on their kind of like social media marketing oh, cool. and and booking events, and and I did actually end up getting a really cool job out of it, but That's it was cool. because I was so terrible at waiting table. <laughs> They're like, no, yeah. yeah. And then came back to New Zealand and at that point being about twenty five and having not having had any journalism. Experience, real journalism experience at that point I applied for a few jobs but I think I doubted myself I was like oh I don't have any experience in this I'm too old now I'm I didn't get a job straight out of uni can't believe now that I thought at 25 I was too old (laughs) but I ended up getting a job in a PR agency not really knowing what PR was when I studied at university and I did a PR paper I was like this is the worst thing ever I'm never doing this I hate this <laughs> uh, but I was like oh I'll do Life it because it's funny yeah. Yeah, that's funny I was like I'll do it because it's a it's a way into journalism it's a it's journalism adjacent let's say and I worked in a couple of agencies for a couple of years and had some really cool experiences like 10 years ago they got reminded on my Facebook memories that I got to hang out with Jason Momoa. I saw that. Yeah, because I was doing the PR for Armageddon and he came over just after he had filmed Khal Drogo for Game of Thrones. I got to do some really cool things. But actually, after two years of that, I and a lot of parties, a lot of promoting alcohol, promoting big big sports brands who exploit their workers. I won't name names. And although they are really cool, it actually was a bit soulless for me. And my my dad had passed away when I was 26 and life was actually pretty hard. And so I was like, I'm quitting PR. I hate it. And I went and worked on a construction site. My gosh, I didn't (laughs) expect you to say that. No, I know. I helped. I was doing administration on a construction site that was building the Waterview Tunnel. And I actually just loved it. I had the best time like getting on with the like foreman and the engineers and stuff like that. It was just so different from anything I had ever done. Really refreshing. Being able to just go to go to work and do the work and then go home Mm. without having to think about it, but having job satisfaction, it meant a lot actually. I think a lot about that actually, those jobs that you can switch off at five and then start again at. 830 mm. I've never had it and no. it, it does look attractive sometimes no? yeah and it, you do get a lot of job satisfaction out of it mm. as well you have tasks that you have to do and then you do them and then they're done mm. <laughs> that's it. and um, you would have again you would have learned so much from that yeah. right because that's big level project management and dealing with different people and yeah time frames and deadlines all of that 
Yeah. I was just working in administration. Let's yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're like, yeah, I'm not literally like, you know, wheeling, dealing. Yeah. No. You are, it's totally a completely different industry, but you're still learning a lot of these skills that will exactly. set you up for your life. Yeah. 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 And also, to be honest, working with a very different set of people and learning how to engage with, yeah, we were out in East Tamaki and very diverse range of people that work on a construction site and Oh, it was just so refreshing and I just loved it after working in central Auckland PR world kind of thing. Mm. Just real people, really. And then I was like, okay, I'm feeling like I can get back into this. And I ended up getting the job at Auckland Art Gallery as cool. doing their communications there. And that really was what I think kick-started me into the, where I am today properly. Because in the Art Gallery, I just had the best time working mm. there. I had... It's a crazy place to work because the art world in New Zealand is it's a fascinating place. But I learned so much. I had an incredible female manager there, Sarah Labour, and she just taught me everything and was also very patient with me. I found out just recently that I have ADHD. Right. And now looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, Sarah, she was so pretty. <laughs> this me who was just all over the place all over the time like all of the time kind of thing and it makes sense now looking back it has really helped me make sense the way I am but I was there for a few years and I just had incredible experiences working with artists from around the world and working with really beautiful New Zealand stories and it was when I was at Auckland Art Gallery that I had this moment where I was really upset that I wasn't a journalist and that was really affecting me. And one day I actually had this moment where I was like, actually, Olivia, you have this amazing job and you are getting to write stories and you're getting to interact with these really cool, interesting people who are doing important things. And you know what? Maybe it's okay that you're not a journalist. And Maybe you're supposed, to, maybe you are where you're supposed to be. And how about we just drop that like, idea? Mm. You're not a journalist. You're doing really well where you are. Let's just focus on this for a while. And I let go of that, that desire, which I really, I had to, I did have to do a bit of work to let go of it, but it gave me freedom to, to focus on what I was doing and also happiness in a way, because I think you get a bit addicted sometimes to being like, I'm not where I want to be. And you're like, this isn't actually, there's something else that I should be doing. I'm not happy and telling people, oh yeah, but I really want to be a journalist or whatever. And yeah, I just let it go. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to focus on this. And to be honest, like I was getting paid better than my friends who are working in journalism and better hours and less stress. And I was like, this is great. And it's so, so funny, isn't it, with life because... I so identify with that in the sense that there's actually, when you, in hindsight, when you look back, not that I'm at the end of my career, but when you've got enough time to look back on life and you go, there's actually so many paths mm. I could have taken. And there's so many, if I'd gone down that road, I could have done that. If I'd gone down that road and I went down a different road from what I initially meant to just because of life and money and whatever, traveling and ending up in. And I often look, look back and think, oh, if I'd done this and this, I would be here. But then I wouldn't have had the life I've had either. And oh. it's, but it is about sometimes 
not getting hung up on what coulda, shoulda, woulda. And I think so, yeah. Taking what you've got and going with yeah, that. and accepting it as mm. well. And I think I also was like, you keep on saying you want to be this, but you're not actually pursuing it. So yeah. just yeah. let go. You're not like being paid $5 an hour, like scrappy. I'm going to do this journalism yeah. like, no matter what it takes. Exactly. Yeah. And that was a really pivotal moment for me because I think that kick-started me into being like, okay, cool, let's do this. And yeah, after a while there, I kind of came to a natural end. I just, you get to a point where you're like, cool, I've done this a lot. I've done this, telling these exhibition stories for a long time now and I want a new challenge. And so the next job I got was at World Vision. So I went from one nonprofit to another nonprofit, just of a different kind. And there, that was just incredible. I was like, this is amazing. I can't believe I get to do this really cool work. I was doing, my main job there was to do the PR for the 40-hour famine, which you might remember from when yes. you were a kid. It's still going strong. It's actually really, it's a really incredible program for teaching young people about giving to others who are less fortunate than them. It's such a memory from my childhood, 40-hour famine, yeah, isn't it's it? A, it's like yeah. a rite of passage for totally. Kiwi children. And I had a really, another, I've been really lucky since the gallery to have really incredible female managers. And I had Chloe Irvin, Irvine there, and she was really supportive of my kind of a little bit wild ideas. And in the past, they had worked with a lot of Shortland Street stars and radio personalities and stuff to get the word out there. And I was like, what about if we did something a little bit different? And I approached Paris Goebel. Ah, cool. And yeah. she was keen to come on board to be the 40-hour famine ambassador. And I actually got to travel with her to Uganda. Okay. And her family came along as well, her dad so and her cool. sister. <laughs> yeah. And we got to meet a young South Sudanese people who had been displaced from their land, homeland in internal conflict in South Sudan and had to become refugees in Uganda. And it was just... Yeah, it was really, that was also really life-changing for me. And it, just having the experience of going to Uganda, going to Africa, it's worlds apart from what we have here. And just it was an incredible journey and getting to go over there with some of the team from World Vision and, and seeing the, the love and the passion that they have for what they're doing. But it was just a, yeah. an amazing experience, but really fascinating learning experience. And also working with someone like Paris, who's obviously got a huge international following was also a really massive learning curve for me yeah all stuff all good learnings it was really challenging as well as it being really like really fun it was really you're in a completely different environment you're faced with culture shock and as well as hear, hearing these really tragic stories and then it's like coming back and how do we translate those to the media in New Zealand and how do we get that cut through for people here to understand what it's like over there. So in terms of professionally, that's actually quite challenging. Yeah, so that, I was there for a year and then another opportunity came up back in the, um, at Auckland Museum, which I was really keen to pursue. I went and became the content manager there. So you can probably see a little trend of kind of <laughs> not-for-profits and stuff. And you're like, when you're at this stage of my journey, you're like, now, so how did you end up working with beverages? I think this really speaks to the heart of, of who I am in terms of being quite passionate about making a difference in the world. And that's probably the link that we can get to later. Mm -hmm. So I worked at Auckland Museum for a couple of years and 
got to tell stories there about the collection. So they have a huge collection of taonga and precious things that they've got saved from the last 150 years or whatever. And then went into lockdown. Okay. Yeah. And so when you're a site-specific organization reliant on tourists Mm. for most of your money, what do you do when all of your staff are at home Mm. and how do you continue to do that work? And so I actually, I got made redundant. How soon after lockdown, like what did that look like? I think, so we went into lockdown in March. And the process for redundancy started pretty soon. They did it like across the board kind of redundancies. And I ended up having my last day of work there maybe in May or June. Right. Yeah. So So they knew later. pretty quickly, look, this isn't going to get better yeah. anytime soon. Yeah. So we're going to have to start. Yeah. Yeah. And without, they were making $12 million a year off tourists. Mm. And that's a huge blow to the bottom line, yes. not having that. So they just had to cut costs. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh my gosh. How did that, yeah, for you, how did that feel at the time? I think when I first found out that I was being made redundant, I was really angry. And, oh, how can they do this to me? There was about two or three days of real resistance to it. And then I just accepted it. And I was like, all right, let's just do this. We've got to get through this. I just Mm. want to move on. Because there's only so long you can have that that real aggressive kind of... Mm -hmm fight in you and then but the scary thing for me was what do I do after that because Mm. there is nothing out there everybody's getting made redundant there are no jobs what am I going to do and I was flatting in Auckland and I get what I would tell say to myself is okay if worst comes to worst I can leave my flat and go and stay with my mum in Wellington I feel Mm. lucky that I have that bottom line thing Mm. You start to look at the, okay, that's the worst case, I'll be okay. Yeah. But I've got options, you're not. Yes, yeah. exactly. Obviously, somebody in their early 30s at that point, you don't want to do that. <laughs> it's not ideal. I love my but, mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I actually went on the benefit. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? That was a real humbling moment for me. It's, yeah, I think at the time I was like, the governments that are putting this out there as an option for people who have been made redundant, I'm going to take it. Why not? Yeah, totally. And I was like, I rationalized it. I've been paying my taxes for 17 years now or however long. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get something back from this. But also I actually needed the support. Mm. I had no way to pay my rent. Mm. And I, yeah, I, all my living expenses or whatever. And so I actually, yeah, I went on the benefit. I went on the job seekers benefit. And... I just lived very frugally for a while. Which is easier to do when you're locked in your home. No, (laughs) you're not going, no one's really going anywhere. No, yeah. Masking up two meters apart. Yeah, totally. And I just had to curb my online spending Mm. habit. (laughs) Realize that I have a wardrobe full of clothes and I'm fine. I won't be going naked anytime soon. I'm not going to freeze. Yeah, Yeah. All of these things. Hmm. And it was, that actually gave me the, I guess, time in a way to think about what I wanted to do. And whilst I'd been at the museum, I had a few freelance jobs that I took on the side. And I was like, what about 
if I just tried to amp that up a bit and started my own, started going out as a freelance PR person, and there wasn't a huge moment of, I'm going to start a business. It was like, I need money. Mm, how can I get it? How can so I get it? So you hadn't in your earlier career, like that was never the goal at that point. I'm going to, I'm working towards setting up my own business or anything like that. You were enjoying different roles with different places. At that point, had you got a future plan? Were you like, I'm going to be at no. a big ahead of this or anything? You to know? be honest, I, I'm not a huge future planner. Right. If I if we're talking about strength finders, futurist and stuff is probably right at the bottom of mine. Right. So you were enjoying the opportunities yeah. that came and living those to the fullest and then totally. to the next one came along kind of thing. And yeah. actually my partner when I was in my 20s, he was an entrepreneur and started up a, a few really amazing cafes. And I saw what he had to go through to start these businesses. And I remember when I was working for a seller as with a salary job being like, I'm never starting a business. Ugh, I love having a salary and I love getting paid every week. I don't want to have to figure out where my next paycheck is yes. something from yeah. and stuff. And I, it was interesting before when you said you felt like you were lazy. I don't think it's about laziness. I think it's about security and, mm. and that knowing that you're ultimately not responsible. You're mm. responsible for you, but you're not responsible for where that money's coming from, in mm. a sense, if you have a salary. And security is really important. And it was very important to me as well. But then I had no security. When yeah, I was... like the security was just gone. So. Yeah, they were, security. The museum was like, hey, waka ikanoa, we're all in this together. And I'm like, apparently not. I just got kicked out of the waka. <laughs> yeah, you're like, absolutely. I am. We are not in this together. I am yeah. out. Yeah. That's so funny. I'm out of the waka. It's <laughs> so funny. And, and I think that was when I realized Security is a smokescreen in a way. And the, at the end of the day, there isn't any real security for any of us in terms of jobs in a capitalist environment. And But yeah, so I was like, all right, I'm going to go and reach out to some of my contacts and see if they want some freelance PR. And now this is where I have to say that I would really, I would love people to hear this because I, this is something I really benefited from being on the benefit was I did a little bit of research and found out that if you're on the benefit and you want to start your own business, they will actually help you. The government will help you do that. Uh, and I do yeah. actually think that if more people knew about this, more people would possibly do it. So I just, so I was on the job seeker support. I want to get this right. I've got these noted down. And then I, I got the self-employment startups, startup payment. And the business training and advice grant. Cool. And then once I had to go through a lot of hoops, I had to write yes. about a, a 40 page business plan and I got coaching from their business kind of coach people. But and, they would have all been really valuable, right? Because oh, I've been meaning to write a business plan for so long and I mm. never make the time. But when mm. you're forced to do it. Totally. And to get some coaching or to get some yeah. to bounce ideas off, that would be great. Yeah. And so basically my plan was to, I just was like, I'm going to start a, a PR company. And I, yeah, it took a while for all of the cogs to get, come together and for working and come there, working with a lot of people. It's quite slow moving. But what happened was about March 2021, 
I got the go ahead. And for six months, I got $300 every week to pay my rent. And I got like seven or $8,000 for startup costs. So I bought my laptop and my phone because that's basically all I needed mm. to start up my business. And, and I was allowed to get payment whilst also getting the benefit, if that makes sense. That's so cool. That's actually awesome, isn't it? Because yeah, it does so cool. encourage... Because again, that was always my scary thing about going out on my own is I didn't have a buffer. I didn't totally. have a backer. Neither. So it's always what stopped me yeah. from doing it. And I've seen other people who've started up businesses and some are in a really lucky position where their partner supports them while they're in it, while they're starting it up, or perhaps they're able to live at home or there's a whole mm. bunch of different circumstances why people are able to start up businesses. But I didn't have any of that. I'm fully self-sufficient, having to pay my own bills, didn't have anybody to pay those for me. And so here it was like the government stepped in. We're going to pay those essential bills for you while you're starting up a business to get you on your feet. And you can imagine, not just for me, but for other people around the country, how incredible. And everyone's, oh, you're not allowed to earn money when you're on the benefit. Actually, they have some ways that you can get around that. So it's just about being clever and actually looking at what your options are. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, really want to encourage people that if you are in that situation, do a little bit of research and find out maybe if there are some support, some grants and stuff that you can get to, to start up something for yourself. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And I wasn't saying that I was going to change the world. I was saying that no. I was going to get a few companies to pay me to do that for you. <laughs> and I guess the thing is, look, Obviously, everyone listening will have very different views on government and we've all got very varied views. But when you look at it, it's worthwhile for the government to do that because you are then off the benefit yep. and earning Paying money. Yep. So they're prob probably, I'm imagining it's a lot less to do what they have done for you than it would be to have you on the benefit for another four years. Oh, so if, if, obviously that doesn't translate to everyone that's on the benefit and that's another whole world of thing, but... It's such a great resource or Absolutely. invaluable, you know? Invaluable. And that was really what allowed me to do what I'm doing today. And mm. I'm really proud of that. That's so cool. You know? I love it. I love that that's your story. That's yeah. A, yeah. So tell me. Okay. Actually, you're the, the first person I've ever really told that publicly. So <laughs> because there you go. I love it. And onto a public platform. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I love but it. There you go, I, Honestly, I think that that is, this is what I love so much about this podcast, right? No one's story is the same. No. Everyone has just got such a different path and you're the first I've had that's got made redundant in lockdown and has gone on a benefit. Like I wouldn't have even th thought about that because I didn't get made redundant. You just have to do what you got to yeah, do. Totally. You know? Yeah. But I also, when you said you were angry for a couple of days and then you were like, or oh, whatever, days, weeks, whatever, but you, but then you have to go, okay, it is what it is. I've got to move on. And I mm. think a lot of people struggle to move on yeah. from those things when stuff happens and that's true you know a lot of people hold that in for a long time yeah, and, and so again that's it. another great lesson or a takeaway is that whole thing of sometimes you just have to go right it happened mm. now I've got to look forward because if I don't yeah. look forward I'm always going to be staying back so I really love that so yeah. tell me you get the money <laughs> yeah got the money yeah and you're and like I'm when I'm and you've my got a business laptop. plan. Yeah, you've and got I've got a, a laptop, business plan. a business plan, a phone, yeah. and you've got some guaranteed rent yeah. for six months. Yeah, so I had the security there. Yeah. And 
my first, my initial plan was to go after tech companies because I had some, I had been doing a little bit of work for some tech companies through, through friends and whatnot. And I was like, yeah, this would be cool. Like a female in the tech world. And, and yeah, I got a few tech companies to begin with and, but they don't have a lot of money for ongoing PR. And so I'd get one-off projects and that felt amazing just to get any money. <laughs> and then a friend introduced me to the Arepa guys, the, which is the brain drain. And I rationalized it to myself at that point. You know what? The food tech. Yes, I love it. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. The food tech, they fit within yeah. my remit. Yeah, yes. I can totally like, do that. Because I've got this. my business plan. Yeah, like, so I've got to like, stick to yeah, my business yeah, plan. Yeah. And in my head, I was really, this tech thing was really important to me. And this is funny because I think this is like a repeat of the journalism, letting go of the journalism story. I started working with Arepa and I just loved it. The, those guys are amazing and have done something really special and they really believed in me. And when, when I started with them, there was just four of them in the business and now there's about 30. Wow. Yeah. So they've grown, we've grown together. Together. Yeah. Which is cool. But they, that is actually what led me into most of my relationships today. Bless Angus and Zach, they have done a lot of my marketing for me and, and passed on my name to their friends and colleagues in the, in the New Zealand food scene. Because you started working with them and it's obviously working. They're mm. pleased with the work mm. and they're talking to colleagues or industry counterparts and they're going, who are you using? Or yes. they're saying, oh, we've had some incredible, that's love, she's done. Yeah. So it's just that word of mouth. That's it, word of yeah. mouth. I think as well, for people listening, I probably should explain what PR is. <laughs> yeah. A short way of putting it is that advertising is when you are telling everybody how great you are. PR is when you get somebody else to tell people how great you are. I'm, a, I guess, a conduit between companies or organizations and the media. It's my job to tell journalists what's going on in companies so that journalists can tell those stories to their readers. In short, there's yes. a lot more to it than that, obviously. But And you know what? Like my being in marketing for most of my career, I am such a huge fan of PR in terms of actual businesses like yours because that piece, those relationships with the media, those abilities to tell the stories, it's very hard to do yourself. It's very hard to do yourself as a, if, if you're working for a company because it is, you're effectively at sales, whereas someone else telling the story for you, it has so much more impact and so much more importance. I've been talking to a lot of people recently and taking the time to put some money aside for PR at the beginning, if you can, is very important, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's one piece of the marketing puzzle. Mm. I don't think it can stand alone. You need advertising and you need marketing oh, as well. Oh, absolutely. Of course, yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. that. But I think it is an important piece of the marketing mm. puzzle. And I just think PR often gets seen totally. as, as a nice, nice to, to have. have. Yeah. And, and we don't have the budget for that now. But I often just see the businesses that have just invested in PR right from the outset as part of their initial mm. startup spend or whatever. And they, this is why you see businesses that have been in business for a year and you've seen them everywhere exactly. and then you talk to other people that have been slogging it out for five years you've hardly heard of them mm, and so I mm. think yeah and that's what happened with Arepa basically is that 
their counterparts saw them in the media and saw these stories being told about them. And they're like, how are you doing this? Who's telling why? And that's, and the guys are like, oh, this is Olivia from Common Ground PR. <laughs> mm. But I think their advice, they got that advice that you're talking about. They, one of their mentors is one of the early designers for Allbirds, I think. Right. And he said to them, you have to invest in PR. That's what Allbirds did really early on. And that was one of the reasons for their major early success. Mm. And Angus and Zach took that on board and invested in me. That's so cool. Yeah, and we're still going strong, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is great. I yeah. love those guys. Yeah, and so basically since then, it's been word of mouth marketing mm-hmm. to uh, lead me to the client that I have today. Um, yeah, so let's look at what, so what does the business look like today? You're, so you're two years and a bit on, yeah, two and a half two years and a half in. Years. Yep. 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 What does your company look like as you are today? Okay, so my company is me. But something just a little bit on that is that I decided early on to do a little bit of PR for myself and call myself a company. Mm-hmm. And every time I talk about Common Ground PR, I say we. And so the perception is that we're a big company, but really I just do a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I do use contractors mm-hmm. sometimes to help me when um, there's overflow work or like where I need help with things. But predominantly it's just me working with directly with my client. So at the moment, my I, the way I work is I usually have three to four retainer clients, which um, means that they pay me a fee every month and I do work with them across the year looking at yep. their PR strategy for the entire year. And I have three or four of those. And at the moment, I have Arepa, Boring Oat Milk with Morgan, who you've talked to before, Manuka RX, which is a really incredible New Zealand-made beauty company, Almighty almighty beverages and also i've just engaged with a geotechnical engineering company called Anisha, and i'm really excited about working with them and then i do projects on the side when i can fit them in i've worked with coffee supreme i've worked with i've worked with a new last year i worked did the women's rugby world cup i saw that yeah that's cool yeah really cool and oh there's so many Mm. projects that I've done but I've been really lucky that I've got to work with some really incredible business owners and companies doing very special things and your work would be so broad right like in terms of not it's so cliche but no two day would look the same and when you're I guess when you're working alongside brands that have their own that they have a marketing strategy mm. so then you sit alongside that and you look at that and go we could tell a story here yes. this would be a good opportunity would you always have to be looking especially with sort of food tech <laughs> or is it in the food <laughs> or you know I guess any industry kind of surveying the market the world yes. and looking for opportunities at all times as well yeah. or we could tell that story we could input here yeah. oh that's a topical debate or whatever yes so you've got to be across everything in a way yes and part of what I do is try and build up my the founders often of the companies to become known as a industry leader in their area you think of Morgan now when any media person wants to talk about oat milk or alternative milks in New Zealand they will often get in touch with us and Mm. say hey, can Morgan talk on this? Why do we all have to pay a dollar to add oat milk to our coffee? Or whatever it is. Mm. And same with the Arepa guys Mm. on their brain drink, on specialty drinks and Mm. that kind of thing. So 
Yeah, it is. I am constantly surveying. And I think we'll get to this in a bit, but it means I read and consume a lot. And so actually outside of work, I don't love engaging in media because it's what I do every day for work. And I love reality TV and I love like reading trashy books and stuff because mm. sometimes I just need to switch your off. mind off. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So I love this. I love all of this story. So tell me about a typical sort of day or a week for you. You have got an office space, is that right? Like you go to a shared yeah. working space? Yeah. Yeah. I have, a, I have a shared working space in Greylin and that has been a lifeline for me. I think if for anyone out there who is a solopreneur or whatever you call them, get yourself into a shared workspace where there's other people doing similar things. In our shared workspace, we have a digital agency, we have interior designers, we have architects, journalists, designers, all sorts of people, but we're all small businesses trying to make our businesses work. And just being around other people who get that part of it, even though they might not get your business exactly, oh, the support is just incredible. And yeah. The, you had a, when I was reading the questions that you sent through and one of them was what is who are the businesses that have inspired you and to be honest or influenced you and to be honest it's the people around me every day that I'm inspired by wonder group which is started off with some young guys who started this interior decorating company and now they're one of the most highly sought after interior architects across the country and Aha Architects and Perks Design and Dig PR. Actually, I work with another PR company, so that's cool as well. In the same shared workspace, yeah. How did you find your workspace? I just asked around. Word of mouth. Yeah, asked around. And But yeah, so day to day, and I love that you think that I'm like this hustler because honestly, mm -hmm. I'm more of a floater. <laughs> I'll go into work and I'll be like, hi, everybody. <laughs> Talking at the water cooler. Yeah, like, exactly. So yeah. And my clients probably hate to hear that. <laughs> Sorry, as long guys. As, the results, as long as they get the results, I don't think they would care. Yeah. And, but yeah, so I spend a lot of time talking with my clients and then contacting journalists. All the time, I'm talking to journalists about what's going on with my clients. How often would you be checking in with your clients? So I do a monthly whip with all of them, a cool. whip, monthly work in progress meeting, but we're emailing often every day. Right. Yeah, about yeah. the different projects that we've got on. Cool. So it's just a constant dialogue. You're constant not like dialogue. a no. month later, like, sheesh, I haven't talked to them. I better give them an update on what you're regularly in If contact. that happens, I am seriously stressing. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, stressing yeah, yeah. big yeah, time. Yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, I love it. But, yeah, and so it's very relational. Mm. It's relational with my clients and it's relational with journalists. Actually, another way I've heard it put before is, my clients, it's imagine if you are a chef and you love cooking incredible food for your for your patrons and somebody comes along to you and they're like, I've got all of these amazing ingredients and I reckon that this would make something a bit like this. Hmm. And the chef will probably go, hey, here's these ingredients. They're all cut up and I can't get these ingredients everywhere. Maybe I will try making something with that. And that's a little bit like what I do is that my clients give me these ingredients and I look at them and I go, oh, what could we make out of this? And I take it to a journalist and I'm like, hey, 
here's what do you some, think? yeah, here's a really cool, here's some really cool images. And oh, did he know about this? And maybe mm. you could make a like this story out of this. Mm. And journalists go, oh, yeah, actually, you know what? That is a really cool story. And you've you've thought about which imagery and which video you want to support it, and they make it their own. They put their yes. finesse on it, which but is really important. But they will give them an idea of an angle or a topic or something that they could yeah. write about. Or, exactly, yeah. yeah. And so I'm giving them these a set of ingredients to create what they want to create. So I'm not writing the story. No. I'm Yeah. And I think that's another kind of, and I'm doing that every day. I'm looking mm. at these ingredients that I have from my clients and how do I work them in a way that a journalist is going to go I can create something out of this. I wanted to ask you about journalists because in my experience trying in-house PR where possible for different clients at different times in my career I've had different relationships with different publications or whatever but I'm imagining that growing and maintaining those relationships and the trust would be such a big piece as well, not just your clients, but having the relationship with these journalists. And obviously in the media, people come and go a lot. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you would, is it right that you would spend quite a lot of your time just nurturing those relationships as well? In a way, but journalists are very time poor because they are so overworked in this, in, and underpaid in this country. And there's not a lot of resource in the media to to pay. It's a very, they run very tight. Not like the Junos of old school no. where they're always out for drinks and you're whining and schmoozing and, no, you know. unfortunately no. not. I'm lucky if I'm able to get a coffee with a right. journalist kind of thing. So the best way to nurture a relationship with a journalist is to give them consistently good stories. Mm. And then around that, you get the interactions that help to build the relationship. But it's not, in, in my position anyway, I think that there's probably some pe people who work in like government PR and high up corporate PR who probably are whining and dining because mm. they have a lot of money to do that. Mm. But in my, for me, what sets me apart, I think, is consistently giving really good stories that actually stand out when some of these journalists have told me that they get 400 emails a day. Yeah. So you to me why some of them don't reply. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they know that when they see your name come yeah. in their inbox, they're going to go, Liv, Liv will have something good. She's not just emailing me yeah. the latest press release of the latest thing that they've yeah. seen a million times yet. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really important for those out there who are maybe doing their own PR. Is yes. What are you giving to this journalist that's very specific for them yes. and you're not giving to everybody else? And yes. do you have all of the supporting stuff that a story needs, which is mm. imagery, sound bites, somebody to talk to? There's And it, to me it seems simple and sometimes I'm like, Oh, sometimes I'm like, I find this really easy. And then somebody mm. said to me, Olivia, that's because you're an expert. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you it's so true. You forget it's about so that. Yeah. When you've been doing something for a very long time mm. and you're like, oh, maybe I need a new challenge. And it's no, stay where you are. It's because you're yeah, good at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And because you know it is, it's those relationships. It's, and it's also, not, you've got great brands that have the product that stand behind what yeah. you're talking about. They've got there's substance behind the product exactly. that they've yeah. created. Yeah. So there is stories and there's stories beyond we've got a new flavor. Exactly. That you can tell more than just yeah. here's our new product. Totally. Can you feature it? And I think that makes a difference, right? Yeah. Because most of my clients aren't 
making a product to make money for money's sake. It's because they started out with a passion to make mm. a change. And I think this is what leads me back to my heart is that, and I try as much as possible to work with purpose-driven brands and organizations. And if you think about Arepa, they want to make brains better. And they have created this brain drink, which actually works incredibly. If you haven't tried it, you should try it. Arepa, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think about boring. And for Morgan, it was about creating something that was a more sustainable option than the options we have in terms of dairy milk in the country. And oh, it's so good for our land and great for our waterways. And it's about utilizing a New Zealand product to make something that actually does make a difference in terms of climate change. Manuka RX, they're creating a Manuka oil industry in the East Cape of New Zealand, some an area which traditionally doesn't really have much industry or jobs. They use Manuka oil in their, that's the kind of hero ingredient, let's say, in their products. And it's incredible, very potent ingredient. And yeah, they're growing these Manuka plantations on the East Cape because that's where they grow the best and they get the best oil from. And it, they're actually changing lives down there, which is How amazing. Cool. Yeah. Yes. And so that's, that, those are the types of companies that I work with. That, and I think that's what helps me get the stories as well, because journalists see that people connect with people who are trying to make a difference. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's amazing because it is, it's those stories and those reasons behind the business that is yeah. what, um, yeah. yeah, and it's so interesting because on a personal level, like my conversation with Morgan, well, it's also been one of my most popular episodes, but it has resonated with so many people, like the people I know that have listened to that episode that now all purchase boring because they, yeah. it resonated with them and they heard the story behind it. And it's it, People do resonate with the story yeah. behind the yeah. product more than just, oh yeah, I bought some oats. Not, yeah, know, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Rather yeah, than yeah, just, yeah. Oh, I saw that oat milk was trending worldwide, so I thought I'd make some oat milk. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's just a different story to tell, and no, yeah, it's and very different. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So there was another moment when I started working with other like beverage, food and beverage companies after Arepa, where I had to let go of that plan I had to work with tech companies and I was like oh I failed my whole plan was to work with tech companies and here I am I'm not working with tech companies and then I was like but I love these companies and I love what they're doing and I really enjoy the stories I get to tell from this so let it go and I think that's one of the themes of my career so far is that is letting go and accepting where you are like preconceived ideas or preconceived like paths yeah yeah of of that plan mm. and saying hey I have I've found myself down a slightly different path and it's okay let's explore this path and let's smell the roses on this path rather than wishing that I was over on another path and I think that for me has yeah I think I imagine that will happen throughout my life but how cool is it as well because if you had the Arepa guys come and approach you and you're like, sorry, I only deal with tech. Your whole world would be different yeah. and you wouldn't have built these relationships. And, totally. And so it's, it is about letting go and it is about being like, but this opportunity has brought me this. That's right. And, and also just seeing the opportunity in front of you and mm. that old saying, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, which I never really understood until a couple of years ago. Take 
what you've got in front of you and use that to the best of your ability. And you might have a plan, but best laid plans, they can all go awry at any, at any stage. And, and we look at our world now without wanting to get too political, but things change all the time. And some of the changes are obviously devastating and very difficult and challenging. And you have to find a way to get through it and be like, okay, what am I going to do with what I have now? And be able to pivot and change and yeah. work with uh, work with what's in front of you. Exactly. Like say, what's in the hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so to date, apart from Jason Mamoa, what, <laughs> what do you reckon have been your biggest highlights or proudest moments? We could talk about career, but maybe just as common ground. Probably my biggest highlight so far has been working on the Women's Rugby World Cup, which was last year. That happened all through word of mouth. Someone in the UK contacted somebody in Australia who I'd worked with when I was 25 who said, live, does PR, get in touch with her. And when I actually considered not taking the job because right. I was like, rugby. I'm in tech. No. <laughs> I was like, rugby, I'm just not that into rugby. But then I talked to the client in the UK who was an incredible woman who does the PR for world rugby. And so I was working for her. I was doing PR on the ground here, working with her. And I was like, oh no, this is an incredible opportunity. But what was funny about it was that until I got contacted about it, I didn't actually know that the Women's Rugby World Cup was happening in New Zealand. And I don't think many people knew that it was happening. Mm. And so we had this very big job ahead of us to be like, how do we get traditionally very people who are very interested in men's rugby interested in the women's game and we did and our well the, I was gonna say Liv how much of that success would you attribute to the PR that you and the team did because women's rugby is like having a moment I am not I'm not one but a rugby fan or sports fan really probably similar to like how you were before this but Wow, we were all captivated. The nation was captivated. And I know the names. I even follow like some of the women's records. Yeah, you know, I love that. On, totally. and, and I can only say that possibly it's the PR that's got me because <laughs> I like it really did work. Thank you. Mm. And I would say 100%, but that would be an absolute yeah. lie. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it was, a, it was definitely a strong contributing factor. And my job was to get stories into lifestyle media. So right. just to be clear, New Zealand Rugby had some PR people as well, but they were working predominantly in the sports mainstream news kind of area. So that's getting them in the traditional, on the back pages, yep. on the yep. that normal sports yep. PR. However, yep. the people who they are talking to, you might argue that those people already knew that the Women's Rugby World Cup was coming. It's the people like you and me that we needed to reach to be like, hey, you should come along. Mm. You should turn on the TV and bring your this. kids. Yeah, totally. Yeah. They did some incredible activations like the poi activation. And that was all New Zealand rugby and how everyone was waving poise oh, in yeah. the stands and stuff. It was really special. So there was a lot of components that worked together and the PR was one of them for sure. Mm. And and we got some really cool stories in mainstream kind of lifestyle media, which you and I and others around the country would have consumed, I guess. Did it help having the fact that the Sevens team had won gold? Was that a real 
help in terms of the at the Olympics before? Not necessarily. No, wasn't. No, what we did was we just we as much as possible we told the stories of the players themselves mm-hmm. because they're uh, just fascinating. These women yes. who work full time often and yeah. then have these rugby careers where they're winning things around the world. Quite a different, quite a different experience to their male counterparts. Very different, very mm. different. And also the behind the scenes people, the in- incredible women who are running the rugby teams in New Zealand rugby behind the scenes and, and just telling that story in a slightly different way than mm. what traditionally has been told. And yeah. I think, yeah, it was just a privilege to be a part of. Yeah, awesome. And then That's to so see, cool. Yeah, to see that the opening match sell out and mm. then to be at the final and it's another sell out and to see the Black Ferns win. Oh my goodness. Yes. Major career highlight. Yes. I yeah. remember seeing your Instagram and I think because Rosie came up, yeah, our mutual friend came up as well, didn't she, for the yeah, final? Yeah, last minute. Yeah. So random, just the fashion gals in the Arthur and the rugby. Her husband works in the media, so I was able to invite him as a media person, which was legit. I just have to put that out there. And he was able to bring a partner who also happens to be one of my best friends. (laughs) Yeah, it's win-win, win-win. That's awesome. So next question, would you say there's been, and we again, we've probably talked a little bit about this, but any sort of game-changer moment for you or what would you after everything we've talked about what would you attribute as a game changer moment for you in business actually do you know what it was it was last year I got really sick at the start of the year I had probably been working too hard and I went through a relationship breakup and then I got COVID and I actually got really depressed and in April last year, I had to tell some of my clients that I couldn't service them for April. And that, for me, was a game changer moment because I had to be like, you actually have to look after yourself. Mm. This business won't carry on if you aren't carrying on. Mm. I was crying every day. I, was, I couldn't get out of bed. I would do, I'd occasionally open up my laptop in bed and I'm a really lively, positive person for the most part, but that was a massive, massive struggle for me. And I'm still dealing with the the flow on effects of that in a way and having to be really careful about managing my mental health because it is actually, it is, I've been very positive about it during this interview but it is really challenging working for yourself and having the weight of things on your shoulders in a sense Mm -hmm. and I think I just took on too much and so I have to really check myself a lot these days to make sure that I'm not doing that because I can't get to that position again and so for me that was game-changing being like you can't do everything it's not working as it is you've got to you've got to rein it in Boswell (laughs) how how was that telling your clients and I'm imagining as you've talked about your clients I'm imagining they were very supportive yeah they were incredibly supportive but it was very humbling Mm. having to call up your clients and try not to cry while you're on the phone to them be like I'm the Bruce and I love you yeah I know and full on it was really full on, and I know it's not the game changer that you probably. Oh, 
you know what? Thank you so much for sharing that because as you probably will have heard, I don't know how many episodes you've heard, but different people have been very vulnerable about different areas in their life. And as we now realize in this day and age, Mm. everyone goes through stuff and it is so important to talk about it because that's the best thing you can do for someone else. And it's so generous that you can talk about it and go, this is what happened. This is how I dealt with it. And it's incredible. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, that's okay. It's, I try to be open about those things and it is a big part of who I am. I have to manage my mental health quite carefully now. I have to exercise regularly, not drink too much alcohol and take time out for myself. And Mm. yeah, so that was pretty game changing. That's cool. Thank you for sharing. And I guess that sort of goes to challenges, which we have is one of the questions. Is there any other sort of challenges you would want to talk about that Common Ground has faced or you have faced? And how have you dealt with them? Oh, <laughs> now this sounds like an interview for a job. <laughs> yeah. What are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? <laughs> My biggest challenge is not eating chocolate every day at 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I fail that challenge. But yeah. <laughs> biggest challenges. Yeah, I think for me, my biggest challenges are managing workload and workflow. And a lot of, because of my na- my kind of relaxed nature, relaxed nature, but also can yeah. do. So I say that I'll do everything. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, I'm sure I'll be able to fit it in at some point. But I actually have to be real about that because I am working with people's businesses. And, and at some point you can't be as laissez-faire as maybe you are in your personal life. <laughs> and so... At some point, a lot of people have been like, why don't you take on staff? And at the moment, I love working for myself. And it's great when I get to work with contractors. Very helpful. But yeah, it really works for me right now, doing mm. um, working for myself. But it does mean I have to, the challenge is getting that number of clients right. And it's a constant, it's a constant thing that I'm weighing. Balance. Yeah, yeah. it's constant balance. Yeah. Totally. So on another note, you we've talked a lot about word of mouth marketing which Mm. and I've said it before on this podcast and I'll say it again is pretty much like the best form of marketing right especially on a service level Mm. it's a bit different on a product level do you market your business how do you market your business outside of word of mouth have you found any success in any forms of marketing so I have a website (laughs) woohoo Which gets updated about six months, every, yeah. once every six months. And I have an Instagram, which I haven't posted on for a year. Please don't You're like, so, that. no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Do you say it's majority word of mouth? Yeah, but you know what? It's also my, so I've made my personal Instagram public. And the reason for that is, for one, I don't mind sharing a bit about my life. And I mm-hmm. usually I just share banal things but Mm. I also do share my work successes on there and a lot of my work has come through that because I think I just didn't have the brain capacity to start up a whole nother Instagram page and just Mm. be talking about what I'm doing the whole time so I'm like you know what this is very much a part of who I am so I just started sharing it on my personal Instagram page and I get a lot of inquiries from friends or people who follow me who have started up businesses on my Instagram page but otherwise, predominantly, it's word of mouth. I've been having this conversation recently with a few different businesses I'm in talks with or whatever. And 
we have been talking a lot about that personal connection and some people can be reticent to put themselves Mm. as out there and share themselves Mm. for many reasons Mm. and you've got to be comfortable with it but Mm. I think in this day and age because we do want that level of trust so if you see someone doing cool stuff then that's where your mind goes the next time you so yeah I'm a big fan of I don't practice what I preach very well but I'm a big fan of if it feels right to use yourself as a tool, really. Yeah, and I don't think I'll ever be an influencer. And they're an important part of the marketing story. Totally, yeah. And I really admire people who put the amount of time and effort that you have to create reels and TikToks. Oh, my goodness. It is a job in and of itself. And But that's just not me. So I'll continue to share stupid stuff that I share as well as, and people can follow if they want to or not. If yeah. they want to. Liv Boswell, at Liv Boswell. That's yeah, me. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For non-spawn content. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay. So looking back with hindsight, is there anything you would have done differently in the last couple of years if yep. you were going to start again? Yeah. So this is probably just really boring. I would have just set up all of my processes at the beginning a lot better I would have talked to a lawyer I would have set up like contracts and like templates for like contractors and that kind of stuff all right at the beginning and Mm -hmm. just had those in place and I would some of that stuff you're like oh it'll just happen it's fine when you get to it and you actually have to create something it can be really time consuming and if you don't have it it can stuff you up a bit just get that admin stuff done Hmm. sometimes you don't know what you need though until you've been in it a little (laughs) bit as well because you probably would have done like all these contracts at the beginning yeah and then been like oh no that's not relevant but I get what you mean it's I think sometimes we can launch into this stuff and it is very like scattergun whereas you do need some processes and some kind of clear structure in place when especially as you grow you get more clients and you get more so that's a good one And I think as well to go more easy on myself. And I think that many women are, we're very hard on ourselves and we're like, you should be doing better. You should be doing more to ourselves. And I think I wish early on I had been able to say, you're doing great. This is okay. It doesn't matter that you don't have full books or that you took a Friday afternoon off to go sailing or whatever. I wish I was easier on myself. And I think that would have helped as well when I was struggling with depression because I was like, oh, Olivia, this isn't you. What are you doing? Like all of those kind of really negative self-talk. Yeah. It's good to speak that stuff to yourself now when you are feeling healthy because that's the stuff that will fuel you in the future if you do have down moments. And again, it's about looking after yourself, preparing for everything and knowing if you speak that to yourself it means that you're future proofing yeah I think so and I have actually been in the very lucky position that for the last five or so years I've been doing therapy cool and if you are able to do it I would highly recommend it it has completely changed my life I've gone from being someone who was very constantly talking myself down saying I wasn't good enough saying I needed to do better saying you're piece of shit Olivia who now actually being like you've got this we can do this we can do this together 
I love the way I, yeah, we've no. got this. <laughs> Me and myself. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and that seems like there's been obviously other major changes along with that, but I didn't realize how debilitating it is to have that consistent negative self-talk. Mm. And yeah, if you can engage in a form of therapy, do it. How did you find a therapist? Talked a lot about this to different people in recent years, and mm. often the hurdle seems to be, Quite okay, I quite like that idea, but where do you go? What did you do? I decided that I wanted to work with a psychotherapist, mm-hmm. which looks at your childhood and how what happened in your childhood affects who you are as an adult, mm-hmm. rather than just giving you tools on how to manage your what's happening life. in your day to day life. Yeah. It's a bit different. I really wanted to get into the deep stuff and mm-hmm. sort it all out. And I did some research. I looked at the New Zealand psychotherapy kind of list of people. They all have to be registered. And then I asked around and got some recommendations. Cool. So yep. do your research totally. and get some word of mouth recommendations. Yeah. The thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Hey, that's cool. Thank you for sharing that as well. Because I actually, therapy is one of those things that's like on my list. I'm like, I should do that. Well, because I do, the Americans love it, but mm. I do, I see so much benefit in that. I'm like, why wouldn't you regularly talk to someone that can help you make sense of some of the things that we yeah. all think about? And it is a privilege again, but it is about yeah. just taking the time to to take that step and to actually do it. And I think for me overall, it has just made me feel a lot lighter. And it was hard work, like having to delve back into some of that stuff in childhood. And some people would rather just let sleeping dogs lie to coin another Mm. We've got some good quotes from this. (laughs) (laughs) But I think for me, I could see how much a lot of stuff that happened in my childhood was still really affecting me that I really needed to work through it. And now I am, yeah, I'm more lighter and emotionally, not physically. I love it. Okay, let's pivot to the next question. So who or what would you say have been the biggest influences in your work, in your business? We touched on this a little bit before, but have you got anything more you want to add to that? Really friends who are in business. And that's, Morgan from Boring Oat Milk, Angus and Zach from Arepa, but also the people that I work with in my workspace. So the Wonder Group, Perks Design, Dig PR, Aha Architects, they've all been huge inspirations to me. Just seeing them hustle and grow these really special businesses and also just the support that they've given me to do the same. But also some of my past boyfriends have been entrepreneurs I mentioned one of them before and I saw them start up these businesses and actually what happened was I was like if they can do it I can do it Mm. I know that it was hard really hard and saw how hard it was for these guys but also that it wasn't impossible and that Mm. it wasn't as hard as one might think as cliche as it is you just have to start somewhere you just have to take that first step and you, as like I saw with myself, you don't need a lot of money. You just need a small kernel of an idea. And it might be that you're just going to do something for other people and that's it. You don't have to take over the world with your business. And I saw these guys do that and it was really inspired by them and was like, yeah, if they can do it, I can do it. 
that's cool. We've had some good little nuggets of advice, but or quotes, but what is the best business advice you have received and or do you have a key piece of business advice you would like to pass on? I think it would just be as simple as be open to change. And I just that's just from my own journey. Is if things aren't going the way you planned, okay, what can we do with what we've got in front of us? How can we be open to these opportunities? That's great. So what is the future for Common Ground PR? You said before that you're not so much of a future planner, but do you have any plans on where you're heading or how you want to grow? Become a millionaire and not ever have to work again? That would be great. Oh, yeah, that's my plan too. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> I think there's a lot of us with that plan. Yeah, yeah, it's a good plan. Yeah. At the moment, I'm quite happy like chugging along as I am. I would in the future like to bring on staff and I would like to grow Common Ground PR, but I don't feel ready for that right now. What are you passionate about besides your work? What brings you joy outside of work? Oh, friends and family. I love spending time with people. I'm a pretty extroverted person and I love being around people. And yeah, I've got a lot of really solid close friends and I just love spending time with them. I'm also an avid book reader. I'm actually part of a feminist book club where we only read books written by females. And so I usually read pretty full on books, like physical books, and then listen to absolute trash on audiobook. <laughs> yeah, so I love reading. It's a bit of an escapism, I suppose. I do a little bit of sailing. I don't have my own boat, but I'm part of a crew and we go out on the weekends and do the rum races. That's um, so cool. On the water. And I just love I love sailing because when you're out there, you can't be on your phone. You can't be thinking about anything else. You have to be present and be focusing on the wind and the water and not falling off the boat. How uh, did you get involved in that? I just had always wanted to do it. And then a friend one day said that she did it. She literally went down to the docks and asked around if she could like join somebody's boat. She found a boat that she could join and then she invited me to come along and so it's like people that just have a boat and they go out every weekend and they just have a crew that come and help them Yeah, the, the boats are like the, most of them parked down at the West Haven Marina in Auckland mm. under the Harbour Bridge. And my boat is run by a 70-year-old man called Tony and he's mm. been sailing his whole life and his boat's older than I am. And it's purely for racing. It's not a cruiser. And so, yeah, we go out. And it's just to get out on the water and travel around the Hauraki and the Waitamata and have a bit of fun. That's great. Yeah. That's so, that's, I love that that's, I don't know, when you your first two kind of interests are very much similar to me. Like I'm people, whenever you talk about hobbies and I'm like socializing, yeah. is that a hobby? <laughs> but it is. It is my hobby, like yeah, just being with my friends and hanging time. out, totally. you know. And yeah. I'm also a book reader, but I love that you have a completely random hobby but that also that idea of putting your phone down and it's just not an option yeah is no. so good yeah. and I guess that will benefit you in many ways right I think you know? so one day maybe I'd love to have my own boat but also it's terrifying like running a boat by yourself so we'll see mm. final big question what does success look like to you personally professionally or both so success look like to me, having what I call the five pillars of life working at once. And 
I don't think I came up with this concept. I think my friend Hazel <laughs> came up with this concept or maybe we came up with it together. So you've got work, home, like your living space, your relationship or your significant relationship, your health, which is mental and physical, and your friends. And basically, if you have all five of those working, you, you're that success in my mind. You've got a healthy relationship. You've got a great relationship with your friends. Your home is stable, work's going well, and you've got your health. That's what success looks like to me. But I have to also say that those pillar, pillows, those pillars, you can have up to two of them not working and you're going to be okay. But once you get more than that's when life starts getting really hard. And often I find that's when I start like really struggling with my mental health and stuff. Mm. And so I've got to think about having that balance all the time. It's almost like you have them all in, but they all need to be working at different levels. If you adjust one, if one goes out. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes you talk to friends and they're having a really hard time and we talk about that and they're like, oh, three or four of these are really challenging right now. And you're like, yeah, that is why you are struggling. Mm. These are the big things about life, of life. And some of them aren't working for you. So let's figure out how we can get at least three of those working and then you can figure out the other two, but you'll be okay. That's a very simple philosophy no ways I like seeing the visual of that I guess it's about just monitoring this stuff as well because I think so often we just go full speed ahead and it's taking stock and actually like reviewing yeah (laughs) doing life reviews every six months Um, yeah because success isn't just about work to me joke that I would love to become really rich and never have to work again it wouldn't we all but it's yeah there's a lot of parts that contribute to success in my mind anyway Totally. So that is the end of all the really big questions. I have absolutely adored this chat. I feel like I say this to every guest because I just get blown away by everyone's story. I get so motivated. I take something from everything and I've just found your journey so far just so inspiring, Liv. And I just, you've been so vulnerable and open about all aspects of your story. And I think what you do is very cool. But I also love the journey you've taken Thanks, Katie. to get there. So thank you. I appreciate you that. You're for welcome. sharing. Thanks for having me. So the last part, you know it, is the quick fire faves that we, I should have a better name for it, but it, I started at the beginning and now it's just stuck. Okay. So, you quick know. Quick fire faves work. Quick fire faves. So anyway, three items that you could not live without. Okay, I'm going to sound so boring and dumb, but <laughs> lip bar. It's like I have a lip balm in every pocket and every handbag. Lip balm, water bottle. I'm one of those people that needs a emotional water bottle blanket. Like it has to be with me at all times. And then I'd say sleep. Great. It's just I desperate. I love sleep and I get, I do not work without it. I don't think I've had either of those three. So that that's good. Something okay. different. All right. Okay. Which app for business and or life do we need? I don't have an app that I'm obsessed with, but I do love Audible. It's $15 a month and you can get a book a month that you can listen to and listen to it in the car when you're on a walk. And you can either listen to trash like I do or educate yourself. And it's really like easy listening. Yeah. I listened to Prince Harry's book on Audible. And um, how was it? 
I really enjoyed it because I love an audiobook, actually. I go through phases, but I love that with an audiobook you get. I often listen to biographies now mm-hmm. on audiobook because I find them boring to read. Have you I listened like... to Matthew McConaughey's Greenlight? No, but oh, I've heard. I recommend. It... Yeah. And does he speak that one? Yeah. 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 He's got that amazing yeah. sexy voice. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> okay, that's good tips. What have you watched lately that we must see? Oh, Working Moms. Oh, do you watch that? I yeah, started so, that years ago. Okay, yeah. Do you, are you a fan of Shit's Creek? I am, but I haven't committed okay. to it. So I should. It's Working Moms is by the same production company, Canadian production company that created Shit's Creek. And so there's a lot of similar kind of themes, similar humor, I guess. And because she runs a PR company by herself, obviously that resonated. Mm. And yeah, I really enjoy that show. I've just watched the final season. I also, what else have I been watching? Oh, I just watched the latest season of Queer Eye. And it's just, you know what? These guys have got so much self-love and they are so faithful to who they are. It's really inspiring. And obviously they help people and the story's always really cool watching them help transform people's lives. But I get really inspired by watching the Queer Eye guys themselves and Mm. just, they have some quite... They're quite different and out there, but they just really accept themselves. And it's a really good reminder to do the same. When we are in Auckland, where should we go to eat or drink? Lillian in Grey Lynn, Williams Eatery down in Salo Park. Winyard Quarter? Sorry, Winyard Quarter. Yep, thank you. And Amano is like an old fave in Britama. I just love Amano. So do I. The food, always so good. so good. Travel, where is your next place to visit on your list? Have you got any dream destinations, anywhere you want to go? I've got a holiday booked for Rarotonga in October, which is going to be cool just to relax. But I haven't been back to Europe since I was in London 10 years ago. So I'm really keen to head there again. I would also love to go to South America, go to Japan. There's a lot. There's a lot of places, yeah. yeah. But you've just become a homeowner, so. Yeah, so you're probably. Like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, do you listen to podcasts apart from this one, which would you never miss? <laughs> Obviously, I've never missed an episode. I actually don't. And the reason for that is because I work in media so much every day, I just get sick of it. Hmm. And I get sick of listening about what's happening in the world and opinions I, you know, and thoughts all of that and, stuff. Yeah, and yeah, that. when I'm travel, like when I'm driving around in summertime and stuff, I'll often listen to a series, a podcast series, and I really enjoy those murder mysteries and stuff like that, just to pass the time. But no, not really. Hmm. And you've got your audio books, and I think that's the thing yeah. you often, if you get into that's yeah, your. One or the other, isn't it? I find actually when I do get in an audio book phase, it's all I'm just looking for every opportunity to be listening totally. to it, and it's like, it's, it gets a bit. I have to rein myself in with that stuff. So on the reading note, you are a big reader. What should we read next? Oh, Educated by Tara Westover. That's one of my favorite books, which is about a woman who grows up in Utah in a very strict Mormon family and how she comes out of that. It's a true story. Very incredible. Yeah, I'd recommend that. I've heard of that one. And actually, it needs to be on my list. I'm not very good at true stories. Like I said, like I often listen to them. But people keep 
recommending. Yeah, well, it's so. so crazy that it doesn't feel like a true story. So, right. Okay. Finally, that this used to be like an Instagram question, but now it's just a creative question. Where do you get your creative inspo? Who are your best creative follows? I actually do love visiting art galleries and museums and local like smaller dealer galleries and stuff in Auckland or Wellington when I get down there. So I actually love following local artists. Cool. For inspiration. Yeah. I love it. Hey, that's it. Thank you so much. It was just wonderful. You are just great. And I've really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you so much. And thank you for being so interested in my journey. I really appreciate you having me on here. <laughs> I truly mean it when I say I take so much out of these conversations. I mean, it's why I started the podcast. I truly am interested in what you're doing and how you're doing it. So yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to hear what you think about the podcast. And if you wanted to tell your friends about Super Creative, I would just be ever so grateful. If you'd like to keep listening, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you wanted to rate and review, that would be amazing. For more information, find us at Super Creative Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Bye. Bye.